Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes in generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. If you're like me, 40 years old and a Kentucky fan, the early part of the 80s would have been your first memories of the Kentucky Wildcats. Coach Hall had Bowie Turpin in the Skywalker, but he also had a hard-nosed player that battled tooth and nail to get the job done. He followed in the footsteps of previous Mr. Indiana basketballs to become one of the great leaders of Kentucky basketball. His name is Roger Harden, and he joins us for episode 27, part one of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. Drawing comparisons to Pistol Pete Maravich, Roger Harden was a wizard on the court, but prior coming to Kentucky, Roger came from a basketball family, with his dad being a college player, two brothers that played basketball. But who was the real coach of the Harden family? The toughness that Roger possessed didn't happen overnight. He credits one particular coach in Colorado and the methods used that shaped him into the basketball player we came to know at Kentucky. And this wouldn't surprise you, but Oscar had a hand in recruiting the former Mr. Indiana basketball to Kentucky. Roger takes us inside his first three years at Kentucky and what it was like to play for Coach Hall and to play alongside with some of the greats of Kentucky basketball. If anybody knew what it really meant to play with the name Kentucky across his chest, it was Roger Harden. I'm Bo Robinson, and thanks for listening to Episode 27, Part 1 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and his guest, Roger Harden. Roger, what goes into a young kid from Indiana <laughs> matriculating to Kentucky like so many kids did in the 60s, 70s, 80s to UK like you did? Well, that's uh, that's kind of a broad question. Um, actually, I, I I grew up in Indiana up until kindergarten, and then uh, my father was a high school basketball coach. He played basketball at Indiana University, and he moved. Your father us, being Al Al Harden, and he moved our family to Denver, Colorado, uh, sixty nine, and and you were how old then? I was going into the first grade. And uh, he became the assistant basketball coach out there for one year, and then he took over as the head basketball coach. And so I always kind of grew up in the gym. The great thing about my father and mother was that they never pushed me to play basketball. It was never forced. It was just something that if you want to play that game, if you need help, come see me, and and I will do it. But, uh, you know, it's it's crazy. Uh, When we were out there, he, he tried to recruit, of course, to no avail he tried to recruit LeVon Williams we saw LeVon I saw LeVon Williams who came to Kentucky play high school played basketball in Denver. saw Scott Quartz no, play high Colorado school basketball kid. yep went to Arvada West and uh, I also was a newspaper boy and my biggest celebrity that I delivered the newspaper to was Dan Issel I delivered the Denver Post to Dan Issel when he was playing when he was playing for the Denver Rockets in the ABA but um 
you know, I think uh, a big part, I think, for a lot of the guys that 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 went in the 80s, and there's been a lot of players, I think, you know, Kyle being the starting point guard uh, for the 78 championship team, he was kind of the pro- prototype that all high school Indiana guards wanted to become. And, and uh, just a few years before that, Mike Flynn. Absolutely. On the runner-up team. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, high school basketball in Indiana – you know, people ask me what the difference was between that and Kentucky was. If you picked up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, an Indianapolis star, above the fold on the sports was going to be high school basketball. Below the fold. of 8 to 10,000. Absolutely. We stayed out there until I think I was going into the eighth grade. And my father uh, had a very successful coaching career out there. And I think uh, really for his marriage and he made a commitment to our family because we didn't see him a whole lot. He was recruiting and really trying to make it happen. Uh, he took a job with Converse and moved us back to northwest Indiana, to Valparaiso, Indiana. Before you get back to Valparaiso. Yes. And your dad is working for Converse. Yes. Almost could have been, maybe should have been, but your dad was in the running for the Head job in Indiana in 1971. Yes, he was. Uh, he uh, was uh, region coach of the year back then. Uh, there was only, I forget whether it was 16 or 32 teams that went to the NCAA tournament. And uh, the big award for any coach at that time, if you didn't make it, was what kind of progress were you making with your program. And uh, he uh, was region coach of the year out there on the West Coast and uh, was really drawing a lot of attention as a young and upcoming coach. And his assistant coach was an all-Big Ten player who also played at Indiana named Vernon Payne and uh, who later became the guy that recruited uh, Magic Johnson at Michigan State because Judd Heathcote hired him after he was at the University of Denver. So, yes, he was in the running for the, the, the Indiana job when Coach Knight got it, and I think a lot of the alums wanted Coach Knight to take my father and Vernon Payne as assistants to have some – uh, you know, uh, continuity. continuity, but uh, Coach Knight, obviously, I don't think my dad ever held it against him because you got to bring your own people in. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a backdrop. But no, growing up in Denver was a great place to play uh, youth athletics. They had wonderful youth athletics. And uh, I had an older brother, Rob, some of you might remember, that played at the University of Florida. And <clears throat> growing up, my mother had a much bigger effect on. Uh, me and my brother than um, most um, people might think the fact that my father played at Indiana University and wasn't a basketball coach. I remember our, the first game that we ever played was at a YMCA. There was a YMCA there in Denver. And the very first game that me and my brother played in, we lost. It was it was eight to, eight to six. And um, my father wasn't at the game, and my mother took us to the game. And we were complaining on the way home. Our coach had a son on the team, and he took most of the shots. And about halfway home, we were, we were uh, we lost, and, you know, Steve took all the shots and blah, blah, blah. And I'll never, remember, never forget, my mother pulled over a back street, and we were both sitting in the back seat of the car, and she yanked us both out of the back seat. And she got right up in our face. She got us by the arm. I can remember it and whacked us on the butt a couple of times and said, if you boys are going to play basketball, 
And she mocked us. Oh, I didn't get to shoot the basketball. No, I didn't do it. She said, you better get out in your driveway and you better start playing basketball like you mean it. And Roger, you just sat over there. You didn't go after the basketball. And she had some things to say to my brother. And the next time, Oscar, that we lost a basketball game, and I always played up a year because my brother was uh, was a year older than me. The next time we lost a basketball game, we were in eighth grade. And I'll never forget that was the biggest had the the biggest impression on me as a as a as a basketball player that if you're going to play, I don't want any excuses. You better get out there. And she had watched my my her and my father were high school sweethearts. And, of course, he had a nice high school career and ended up at Indiana University, and she wasn't going to watch two sissies play basketball. And that stuck with us the rest of our career and really, I thought, propelled us. But uh, they were great memories from there. But, you know, we moved to Valparaiso, and uh, Valparaiso was up in northwest Indiana. And um, one of the things that uh, we were exposed to in Denver was is that we – we played for a great AAU coach that used to take us in. He was an African-American gentleman named Lloyd Ransom. He's a legend out there in AAU. And he would take all of us white boys in the suburbs, and we had a couple of African-American guys on our team, and he would take us right into the hood, and he took us to the Salvation Army, and he taught us how to play because he realized if you're going to be successful in basketball, you better learn how to – it runs through the playground. And you better learn how to take the intimidation. You better learn how to play against somebody that's hungry. And he had a tremendous effect on us, both helping us, me, who had not really been around African-American people, because uh, pe- I grew up in mostly in Indiana. It was, it was pretty much uh, everywhere. There was, there was very few black people. And he taught me. He had a great influence on me as a father figure, but he was tough. He was tough as nails. And so all throughout my career, I've had tremendous coaches, and they have made me as a basketball player and as a, and as a person. And uh, I owe my whole career to all of my coaches. But uh, that was another great thing that happened to us is that we got to play for Lloyd Ransom out in, in Denver, Colorado. So you're back in high school up in mm-hmm. Valparaiso, and your mm-hmm. brother's a year ahead of you. Yes. Rob. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit. I know he was at Florida at one time. He was. Uh, Rob was a year older than I was, and um, was, was he a southpaw? He was a lefty. Hey, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and he was about five ten. Uh, he was very quick. He could shoot it. It's it's very unfortunate that he didn't get to play with the three, uh, because the three came in the year after we we graduated. But um, when we moved to Indiana, we had always heard growing up in Indiana about high school basketball in Indiana. And, um, of course, my dad had the opportunity to coach in Indiana for about two or three years, so we were looking forward to it. And uh, I think our whole high school career, uh, oh, I think, you know, our gym gym seated about a little over 6,000. I can't remember ever playing in a game at Valparaiso High School where it wasn't packed. I think there might have been a Tuesday night where there was a lot of snow up there. and, you know, of course, when we traveled, we would travel with 15 or 16 uh, school buses because the entire school went. We had the big pep session. It was it was just like, you know, when you watch the movie Hoosiers, that was the that was the high school career that I had. And I got to play for a tremendous a Hall of Fame coach in Skip Collins, who was a great teacher of the game. And the thing about Indiana high school basketball was is that. When you were in, when we went there in eighth grade, if you were on the basketball team in middle school, you had to sit right behind the high school bench, and we ran the exact same offense. 
we ran the same defenses. And by the time we got to high school, Coach Mr. Collins, he wanted us to call him, him Mr. Collins, we already knew he had to do very little teaching as far as offense so he could spend a lot of times on the fundamentals. And we had a tremendous career there. We never got to the Final Four. We got to the Final Eight. Uh, we never lost a game at home. We had to play the Gary teams, the Michigan City teams. I got to play against great players. Ronaldo Thomas, who was at, uh, uh, we got to play against him later at Kentucky in the Dream Game right before the Super Bowl. He played for him, played against Dan Palambizio, Delray Brooks, played against Delray Brooks. Most nights we would be playing against a team that might have had two or three low-level or mid-level or some cases high-level Division I basketball players. So it was a hotbed in high school basketball. How many games did you and Rob start together? Were you both guards? Well, I I never played the point guard till he graduated. He was the man. I was never the leading oh, you were scorer. Backing him up. I basically, if he couldn't get a shot off, I was the second option. <laughs> and <laughs> it was pretty much whoever took the ball out of bounds, the other one was probably going to get to shoot it at the other end. Um, because our coach, we ran a lot. He let us shoot the ball. Uh, we pressed. We ran. And so I was fortunate to get to play for a coach that. Uh, that kind of, kind of let you do your thing. Um, How did Rob end up, first of all, at Florida? Well, that's a great story. Uh, he, you know, he was recruited by Purdue and Oklahoma back during the Billy Tubbs era where they had great teams, went to the Final Four. Uh, he was recruited by Florida. Uh, he had some very high-quality schools for him. And initially he, he was going to go to Purdue, and actually that was Gene Cady's first year there. But then came a little guy named uh, Norm Sloan, became the head coach at the University of Florida, and his assistant coach was Monty Tao. Uh, and Monty Tao played at NC State with Mr. Thompson. Yep, and Tom won Burleson. A won a title. And they upset UCLA. Yes. And Monty, being 5'6 and a starter, really did a great recruiting job and really bonded with Rob and – and of Ultimately, course, he changed course and, and went to the University of Florida. And, of course, he was playing under Norm Sloan Absolutely. at NC State, who had just went to Florida. That's right. That's exactly right. He, he After he got done playing, Monty went out and played with the Denver Nuggets. We got to watch him play out there as well with David Thompson. And so we, we had that identity with him, mm -hmm. and um, or at least Rob did. And so he uh, he ultimately was wooed away and went to, to Florida. Had a, Only stayed one year. I'm not sure why he left. They were just getting it started down there. He would call, and, you know, they, they might have six or 7,000 people at their games at that time. The enthusiasm course down there is all football, and I think um, he was all freshman SEC, I think, when he played here at Rep Arena. He had a great game. I think he had 26 points uh, as a freshman on a really good Kentucky team. Yeah, because I was thinking they were recruiting the wrong hard myself. <laughs> I knew I would get a chance to do that. <laughs> you might have, because he was a great player and uh, ended his career at Nevada Reno. And I think to this day, uh, you know, he's uh, well remembered out there. Fond memories. When, when, when you and Rob were growing up, what did you do in the summer when you were in high school? Were there mm -hmm. AEU camps or was no. there just these? No. I know that one of the big things was the old BC camps. Did you go to that? Yes. The, back then, uh, in Indiana, there was no AAU. Uh, you had no floor time in the summer other than opening up for open gyms in high school. Th those were the rules. 
And uh, Rob and I spent all of our time, we were very fortunate geographically because you had Michigan City, which had great playgrounds. But the, but, the, but the town that had the best playgrounds, they had all of the guys that came back from Division One was Gary, Indiana. And we spent most of our summer from 10 a.m. probably till 2.30 or 3 o'clock on one of those playgrounds in one of those cities because our open gym started at 4, and then we would come back and go straight to our open gym at 4 o'clock. But the big thing was, was if you could get an invitation to the BC camp. And there was one in Rensselaer, one in Milledgeville, Georgia, and then the other camp was a five star in Pittsburgh. in Pittsburgh with Garfinkel. Yes, and uh, the first camp that I got invited to, I was a sophomore, and of course back then in that era, you'll remember, oh, all of the people that won national championship, all it all went through the aircraft carrier. Everybody wanted quote the aircraft carrier. You know, UCLA won so many titles with Walton and then Lou Alcindor. And then, of course, uh, Coach Hall won it with, with, with Roby and Phillips. Uh, Coach Knight had Kent Benson. And so everybody wanted that seven-footer that could score, and, and everything revolved Wait, around that Curtis big man. Yeah, absolutely. There was no shot clock. Uh, there was no three-point line. So it was always about getting a high-percentage shot. Well, when I went to BC the, uh, that year, there was two great guys that were coming out that year. One was Patrick Ewing, and the other one was Greg Dryling, who was from Kansas, who ended up going to Wichita State. And of course, that was during the era where Wichita State was signing all these top players out of the blue, and later on, you know, got a little probation served to him. But because I got on his team at the BC camp. Every coach, I mean, when you went to a – you would play four games a day there, and there would be at least three to 400 coaches watching these games. So I got on – I was Greg Dryling's point guard, and I had a great week that week. And I got a lot of – got a lot of looks because I played on his team. And from that point on, you know, the mail started coming in and – um that's well, that's it, when my that's when my my reputation went across the state of Kentucky and started to get to become became a nationally known high school basketball player. Who old did you visit as far as I visited? Well, in Indiana, uh, there was a lot of pride in the community. If you're ever in an opportunity to um, be in the running or be talked about potentially being a Mr. Basketball, and there is some politics involved in that. You don't want to snub Indiana right away. You don't want to snub any of those in-state schools because the college, uh, the people that uh, actually um, vote on that are the um, newspaper reporters, and they have some allegiance usually to one of those schools. So I visited Notre Dame, visited Purdue, visited Indiana, North Carolina, Kentucky, Michigan, and I had an unofficial visit to Florida because of my brother. And you definitely don't commit early if you're going out of state. No, you do not, particularly if you're going to commit to the University of Kentucky. (laughs) 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 But um, I actually did commit before the end of my senior year. I think it was probably early January when I decided, hey, you know, uh, back then – college coaches came to all your basketball games you would you know there was probably nine or ten of course I had a couple other players that were playing at Valparaiso that were good ball players as well um 
but but they were at your games religiously. I mean, when an assistant coach didn't have a game uh, with their college team, they and the head coach they had out. They saw a ton of high school basketball throughout the season. So you'd have nine or ten college coaches at just about all of your basketball games. What did you see in Kentucky that you did not see anywhere else? Well, the really the first thing is, and I know that Kentucky has had uh, at that time, you know, um, Coach Hamilton, Coach Dean, and um, you know, before that, Coach Parsons, and a lot of them, they were great recruiters. But actually, I thought the best recruiter on the staff was Coach Hall. Um, I felt comfortable with Coach Hall. Um, I saw how he used his guards. Uh, I felt comfortable talking to him. Uh, he was very honest with me. Um, he there wasn't a lot of uh, of um, you know. Um, you know, talk, and he never criticized any of the other schools. A lot of the other schools were very critical of each other. And I do want to tell you that a central part of their presentation was not only was, you know, the opportunity to win a national championship, but the fan base. But one of the first things that they always threw out on the table was this publication called The Cat's Paws. <laughs> and they would talk about the mass circulation of this weekly publication that came out. And that was the central theme. And no other school had that. And they would send you a cat's paws. And you would get the cat's paws, and you could read all about Kentucky basketball. And that was something that nobody else had in the country at that time. You're very kind, Roger. Well, that's the truth. That is absolutely the truth. And uh, along with uh, Wildcat Lodge at that time, nobody had those living facilities. Uh, nobody had the fan base, but ultimately, at the end of the day, my my mother and father <clears throat> s- talked to me, and what they wanted to do was that they they let me make my own decision. But they said, if you had if something were to happen to me and my mother, your mother, who would you want to be your father? Because that's probably who's going to have the most influence on you, and that was Coach Hall, without question. As you wound down your senior year, you were Mr. Basketball of Indiana. Mm-hmm. You made Parade All-American team, mm-hmm. uh, one of the two top ones in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a McDonald's All-American mm-hmm. and a Scholastic Coach All-American. <laughs> Explain that one to me. I don't know. I, I have absolutely no idea about that one. Uh but yeah, that 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 was when that blossoming era of the McDonald's All American was coming in to existence, and I think you know they would have panels, and of course they watched you throughout your career. They watched you play against top competition across the country, um, and uh, I think you know being from the state of Indiana helped me. And of course, a lot of them looked to see what coaches were recruiting you as well, because they knew that those. If you've got top coaches uh, recruiting you, you know, they don't usually misjudge talent, you know. And uh, so the uh, obviously those were great accolades, but uh, you forget about most of those, and those really don't mean anything until you get to get to campus and you prove that that's really really who you are. And you can As you were being recruited mm-hmm. your junior and your senior years, yeah. there was a kid here by the name of Sam Bowie. Yes. And so you came here thinking that you were going to play with him right at the outset mm-hmm. of uh, your freshman year. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, he didn't get to play that year. Yes. Well, let me back up a minute, okay? When freshmen, and this is something 
maybe some of your your younger people listening to this. <clears throat> when high school All Americans went to schools during that era, it was highly, highly unusual. I came in with Kenny Walker and a guy named Todd May, who was a tremendous basketball player. And if would have stayed, I think we would have won a national championship during our period of time because he was tremendous. But um, you didn't come into a basketball program and start as a freshman. It was very rare, whether you were at North Carolina, Kansas, Indiana, uh, any pick any of those, okay? You came in and you paid your dues. I'm behind. I came in at Dirk Minifield was a senior. Dirk Minifield was probably the number one point guard in the country coming out of high school. He's got four years on him, okay? Dickie Beal, who was maybe the quickest and fastest guard I had ever played against, okay? So I had no illusions when I came to the University of Kentucky what I was getting into, and Coach Hall was very honest about that as well. You knew coming in, I think Kenny Walker, I'd have to look at the, you probably know Oscar, who was perhaps, I think was the second leading scorer of all time. I don't know if he still is. What a great career he had. He was probably only getting 12 or 14 minutes as a freshman. And so uh, coming into a basketball program like that, I knew that, you know, you had to wait your turn. Your day was coming, okay? Until then, you're going to get your ass handed to you in practice by some guys who've been around the block, and they'll have you ready when that time comes. Where were you, and do you remember the Kentucky-Louisville game, which would have been your senior year in high school in Knoxville, Tennessee? No, I was on that team. I was a freshman on that team. So I was there from the very beginning. Yes, sir And uh, that was a – that was a game that I think, you know, we all knew that we didn't play Louisville, okay? And, but the emotions all came when to the surface. When you say we didn't play Louisville, not in the regular season. Absolutely, in regular season. Yes. And, um, but that's when that all started. And I think I played two minutes that game, two or three minutes that game. And um, that's when uh, we realized uh, that rivalry – came to the surface, and uh, those of us who were on that basketball team moving forward knew that's a game that you put on your calendar. That's when you're lifting your weights in the summer. You're going to do two or three more reps for Louisville, okay? And that was one that was for all the chips, and you better be ready to play, and you better produce in that game because it means everything to our fans and to protecting our image as the most pre- preeminent basketball program, not only in the country, but for sure the state of Kentucky. That second year, that first game, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. is Louisville. Yes. It, it's actually shown not on CBS. Yes. And, of course, uh, ESPN was relatively new time. Yes. But it was so, shown on the Superstation, WTBS in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Ted Turner paid five hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> which was a huge amount of money yes. to get that game. Yes, and they did a one-hour pregame show mm-hmm. from the lobby of mm-hmm. Rupp. Mm-hmm. and there was a host, the the host who uh, did that pregame show. You remember who it was? I do not. Roger, the guy who emceed that was Greg Sager, a young Greg Sager who wore the same trench coat that he always yes. wore 
uh-huh. doing Braves game. Yes. You remember him running around the bases doing Hank Aaron's record-setting home run? Yes. Yes. Great, great guy. Yeah. He was the one doing the first wow. pregame show on that. Now, that's something I never knew. That's the first time I've heard that. Okay. Uh, believe me, the last thing I had on my mind, or I we were – Coach Hall was notorious from keeping us away from the emotion. For example, when we went to the Seattle in 84 for the Final Four, we stayed about 45 minutes to an hour away from the Superdome. All the other teams stayed right inside the, the Seattle area. But um, getting back to that game, Oscar, and, and that's a great uh, – I didn't know that. I, I think that's a, that's a great thing to remember. But uh, the hoopla around that was – and. Uh, was that was my first start as a basketball player at the University of Kentucky. And, of course, they came back in Knoxville because Denny threw the 2-2-1 on us. And all through that summer, once the legislation passed that we had to play them that first game, and, of course, you always wanted to play Louisville early because Denny was going to get better as the year went along, was we had Bowie back, but can we handle the press? And Dickie Beal had gone down with a knee injury. He was the natural point guard for our team, and he was the natural leader. And for 19 games that year, I had to start, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't. I wasn't. I did not have the court time. Or that really, to be honest with you, the confidence at that time. I was kind of a fill-in guy. Don't hurt us. Um, but believe me, I lost a lot of sleep that summer thinking about that two-two-one press. You remember the other thing, and that was part of the build-up to that game. I've. You should remember it, but I don't know where you're not. Because, you know, there was this animosity between Denny Crum and Joe B. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, you oh, know, yeah. I mean, you would think that maybe God couldn't even bring these two together. Yes. But where God didn't, Converse did. Yes. With a poster. <laughs> <laughs> they were arm wrestling. Yes. And, you know, they, they had they had two sets of jerseys. Two they from did. Louisville they and did. two from Kentucky. Billy Thompson and... Jeff Hall from mm-hmm. Louisville, mm-hmm. and then they had the guy named Kenny Walker and Roger Harden. They did the other one. <laughs> and the amazing thing was, after that game, what was the cover of Sports Illustrated the next week? Sam Bowie blocking yes. a shot yes. of Jeff Hall. Yes, and that's a great story because in that game we got to tip off, and Coach Hall had the most beautiful tip-off play. We always got the tip, and uh, 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 Sam would tip it. He would always tip it to me left, and and Melvin Turpin was uh, set. Uh, Coach Hall set him right about the top of the key at our end of the hoop, and as Boo would run down the middle of the floor, Melvin would set a screen on whoever he jumped ball against, and we started that game with an alley-oop from myself to Sam Bowie. So the place just completely erupted. And I'll never forget, I was, we played man-to-man, and I had Milt Wagner coming down. And I was guarding Milt Wagner, a 6'4 guard, and they ran that UCLA high post. And all the way down to the block, he kept saying, get me the ball, I got a mismatch on me. And believe me, he did. And the first time he got it, Bowie came weak side and put it in about the third row. About the next, about three or four times down the, the track again, Jeff Hogg went baseline, and Bowie put it in about the fourth row. So... As a point guard, I felt good. If I got beat, for me, it was like, hey, good luck. You got Melvin Turpin, Sam Bowie, mm. and Kenny Walker back there. If you can score on that, my man, you deserve it. But most of the time, it's going to come out, and we're going to fast break on you. And that was Sam Bowie's first actual game in over two years. Yes. Yes, it was. 
Yep. And we were roommates that year. That was my sophomore year. It was his last year. And he got me put on the bench more times than I can count because every time he loved that alley-oop and every time he'd point, by God, I would throw it to him, whether it was there or not. And I can't tell you how many times I had to go to the bench after I missed one of those. But I will tell you that our game plan for that game was flawless. The way we handled that 2-2-1, the way that we played Denny's high-low UCLA cut offense, uh, the game plan. I never played under Coach Hall. I never felt like I ever played in a game where we weren't prepared and that we didn't have a game plan that was going to do it, particularly when we played Indiana as well. Of course, Indiana was a big game for me. I'd always get booed at Indiana. All the guys, James Blackman got booed, et cetera, et cetera. But Coach Hall would always talk about we are going to be the toughest team when we leave. And Coach Hall, at some point in that game, it would always be tight. He's going to throw that 1-3-1 on him that Bobby could not adjust to. It'd take him about three or four minutes to adjust, and that would always be the difference. And we beat Indiana four out of six times when I was at, at, at University of Kentucky. Well, you beat me to it, but I'll let you expand a little bit. <laughs> How emotional was it preparing for Indiana, coming from Indiana, your friends up there, Bobby Knight. And and, and that was probably, uh, I'm certain, it was at least one of the top five rivalries in the com- country. At no the question. Absolutely no question about it. I mean, you know, when, when, you, when you play high school basketball in Indiana, I think everybody respects uh, what University of Kentucky basketball is. But when you leave... There's a little bit of uh, that you're Benedict Arnold. You know, you're kind of turning on several very good quality programs in the state, and you're going to go play for the University of Kentucky because that was a big game for the state of Indiana when they played Kentucky. Um, But really, the longer you played there, really, Oscar, you realized that every game you played in was the biggest game of the team you were playing. And Coach Hall talked a lot about that we played against ourselves. When we go out there, if we do what we're supposed to do and we execute what we're supposed to and we, we're focused and we take care of business, it doesn't matter who we play. Okay, he did such a wonderful job recruiting and preparing us. If we didn't ca- get caught up in the emotion of the game that we were – and most of the time we did. I don't know that we – I think I'm, we, I think maybe I lost three or four games in four years in Rupp Arena. Definitely we weren't going to lose in Rupp Arena. But as, as you – wear the uniform longer and longer oscar you just realize that you are we are playing against ourselves. that we have to be prepared for every game whether it's mississippi mississippi state because those teams are going to have the best games of their year this is their this is their national championship as you go through that sophomore year the mm-hmm. year that it winds up in mm-hmm. seattle mm-hmm. what's some of the things that come to your mind particularly with Bowie having missed two years mm-hmm. and I think he could have come back another year, but everybody knew he wasn't going to come back mm-hmm. experiencing the, the injuries that he had. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this was sort of his swan song, and it was going to be a bunch of them. I mean, you, you're going to lose a lot of people after 80. Mm-hmm. You were going to lose mm-hmm. Master, and you were going mm-hmm. to lose uh, Bill. You were going to lose uh, well, we lost, we Sam. Lo- and we Dale. lost four starters that yeah. year. And um, that's why you come here – The what you want to do as a Kentucky basketball player, the, the, the greatest thing you can do at that time was to give our fans a national championship. That, that's, that's what you want to do. You will, you're going to be enshrined here forever. Of course, it doesn't matter. Here I am 30 years later. I can be sitting in a restaurant and 
you know, uh, I don't look like the Roger Harden of the 80s, but I can't tell you how many times I'll get recognized to this day. And, um, and there's a smile on your face. Uh, well, of course, it always makes my day. Come on. And um, uh, it is um, uh, just to be able to represent the passion and, and the um, the love for the game and the love for your basketball program and to be remembered, you know, you can't ask for that much more after 30 years. And it was uh, it was just a pr- privilege to play there. But But that season – you know, you look back because I felt like we were the best team in the country that year. Houston was there. We had played them right before the Super Bowl, and we First beat time them. Ever that the uh, college basketball game was a lead-in to the Super Bowl on CBS. Wow! What? What? what where? Where else can you get that other than and the they University were, they, of they Kentucky? There were over a hundred private planes. Yes. at Bluegrass Field, and yes. they weren't from the state of Mississippi. Yes. They were from Houston, Texas. And I remember after that game, a bunch of oil people, I think a lot of our coal people who were who were great supporters, our horse people were great supporters of bas- Kentucky basketball. A lot of those oil, oil people wanted to come through Wildcat Lodge. So we got to meet. I'm not sure. I don't remember the names, but I'm sure they were big hitters, right? But we, they had actually had a tour come through Wildcat Lodge. A lot of those folks from Houston, I think maybe they were thinking about building one down the road, which is another thing I want to slip in here was uh, what Coach Hall gave college athletics. Look, believe me, nobody had a, a living facility, football, baseball, basketball, before the University of Kentucky, and that was Coach Hall. Everybody has been is basically taking that blueprint that he had in the 80s now it's kind of standard for all of them to have that, but he was so far ahead of the game in so many ways back then in marketing the University of Kentucky basketball program. Tell me a little bit about the relationship that that particular team had with a guy by the name of Otis Singletary, who was mm-hmm. always a very avid athletics mm-hmm. guy. Yes. And when I say that, I know Bowie had a sort of a special relationship, and you did. Yes. A lot of the others. Talk a little bit about that and yes. then let that lead into your infamous Christmas Eve trip to Champaign, Illinois. <laughs> You've done your homework, Oscar Combs. Or you got a great memory. I don't know. you you got a great memory, one of the greatest memories. But um, one of the greatest things about playing at the University of Kentucky at that time was Coach Hall really sold the basketball program to anybody and everybody, he wanted to include everybody in that basketball program. He wanted everybody to feel like they had a stake, whether you were a uh, the governor and, and, gosh, to have the opportunity to ride on a plane. I'm a big follower of politics, to be able to sit and listen to Happy Chandler talk about his days with Jack Kennedy and uh, what he did with Jackie Robinson. And, and, and Dr. Singletary, who came from Texas, was a giant and we got to meet so many people from all different walks of life uh, and got to hear about their experiences. Uh, some of them would ride on the plane with us. Um, some of them were able to come in the locker room afterwards. And they cared about us as people. You know, you got guys that were successful like uh, Jim Rose, who was a giant who grew up uh, in eastern Kentucky and built a coal empire and you got to listen to his stories and his advice to you about life or an Elmer Whitaker or somebody like that. That was, a, that was the wonderful part about it. But Otis Singletary, I'll never forget when Coach Hall 
decided to step down after my junior year. He came over to Wildcat Lodge and he talked to us about the responsibility going forward to maintain the greatness of Kentucky basketball and that he was going to assure us that he was going to get us a quality coach that understood. And Coach Hall always used to say this. He said, Roger, I forget this. He said, I know a lot about basketball, but there's a difference between basketball and Kentucky basketball. And he said, I really know Kentucky basketball. There's a big difference. And Coach uh, Otis Singletary and all those people at that time that were in the athletic office had a great appreciation for the history and for the uh, for it to go forward. And they realized it was about the people and the people in Kentucky that ran the, ran the state and the people that lived here in the state. And I think that's what Coach Hall did such a wonderful job doing during that era. So Otis Singletary, I could see him five, six years later and then ran into him multiple times and just always dressed dapper. He had such a debonair look to him. Oh, he was a statesman. And he and he uh, diplomatic. He always came over, and made you feel like you were somebody. To be able to get to know Kay Wood Lefford, who I put in the same category, and oh, I'll be honest with you, you're the last keeper, my brother. You you were right there. You did your part about promoting Kentucky basketball. We got to know you. When I saw you today, I haven't talked to you in years. It's just like we picked up thirty years from now. It always be that. Yes, yes, it will. So I appreciate the relationships to this day that I still have with people throughout the state of Kentucky. And now to Christmas Eve. Yes. 1980. <clears throat> well, that was kind of a legendary, if I remember right. <clears throat> didn't we have one, one guy was a high school ref. We didn't know if we were going to play. It was, a, it was a tremendous snowstorm. And, of course, I had people because that, was, that wasn't far from Valparaiso, Indiana. So I had a lot of people come down. They got stuck there. Uh, in fact, I was the only guy that didn't go back with him because Coach Hall it was was right at Christmas. Was that Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve. Yes. And, of yeah, course, that was a huge game for them. Everybody had really been yes. critical yes. of the university. What are you doing Yes, playing on Christmas Eve and yeah. worse than that on yeah. the road? Yeah. Well, Coach Hall wanted to play him. And give Coach Hall credit. We would go anywhere and play anybody. We, well, it, it, the intriguing thing about that, little did you know, that later in the year you would be playing them for the final ticket to the final four. That's right. On your home court. And hey, they were really, really good. They had they were loaded. So loaded. anyway, you get there. We get there. The referees cannot get to the game. Yes. They find one college official there that said, "I'll call it." Yes. They actually pull another guy out of the stands who is just a high school official. Yes. Yes. They did well, and of course, when that happened. We thought, hey, the fix is in. <laughs> but to be honest with you, if I remember right, the, you didn't really – I thought they gave us a great game. I think they were just interested in really well, doing a good job. You know, Joe never loved referees to start with. <laughs> but he said today that was the best officiating game he'd ever had in his coaching career. Yes. But yes. i got to tell you this real quickly. Yes. It was just the very next year that we're playing Notre Dame and mm-hmm. Freedom Hall in Louisville. Yes. And we're staying at the executive, as mm-hmm. we always do. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting ready to go over to the game, and a lot of people is already heading over, and here comes this guy in to the front of the uh, mm-hmm. hotel. Uh-huh. And I look at him, and I go, I know that guy. No, I don't. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I do know that guy. So I went up, I said, sir, are you from Kentucky? He said, no, but I know what you're thinking. I said, what's that? And he said, 
I was the high school referee. Is that right? Wow. Unbelievable. And he called UK and got a Is ticket to right? Notre Dame game. Wow. That's but anyway, after the game, yes. the plane won't start. Yes. Yes. And see, I missed that because coach let me go home, but I heard all about it. I'm glad I missed out on that. And they, they, they finally found a fellow near Champaign that owned a little bus company. Yes. And he and his son yeah. pulled a bus out. And, got, and yeah. when they would go up the mountains, they had, uh, they had one of the systems would take a wet rag and clean off the frost on the windshield so he could see. Mm-hmm. Otis Singletary made that trip. His wife told him, you don't need to be gone on Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. We'll be home before midnight. Right. We'll be home for yeah. midnight. Yeah. They rode in the election at daybreak. Yes. Christmas morning. Yes, I heard all about it. It was, it was. Uh, so did you make it home? I did. It was, it was tough making it home, but we eventually made it home. And of course, I had to turn around and, and come think, right back. I think, did James Blackman make a bucket at the end of winter? Uh, yeah, JB hit one at the gun. He banked it in. Uh, really, I, if, if memory serves me right, James could create a shot really anytime he wanted to. And I think there was maybe four seconds left. And I think we took it out of half court and we set a screen for him and everybody went to the baseline and he just took it one-on-one. And, and I'm, I'm almost 100% sure – he was about between the free throw line and the top of the key, and he banked it in. And uh, that what a game. I'm sure everybody that ever went to that game or participated in, that's one that uh, everybody's always going to remember. It was such an unusual experience. So as you went on in the season, you were pretty much dominate. You had mm-hmm. the Houston game after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had an Auburn game where mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people remember it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Charles Hurt got through out of that game. Yes. Well, actually, that was a year earlier. That was a year earlier. Yes. Him and, uh, of course, you know, Charles Barkley. Of course, we had Derek Hort that year. Yes. And, um, uh, gosh, we were loaded, you know. So so you get into the tournament. Yes. Uh, it's the last time in the history of the NCAA that you can play a region mm-hmm. home floor. That's right. And uh, I don't know if uh, if the pills were just right or what, but when well, you got when you got to the regional, mm-hmm. you'd already played a game or two. Mm-hmm. Got to re- you had first Louisville, mm-hmm. then Illinois. That's right. And of course, everybody when you and even to this day, and I hear Coach Cal say it, it's us against the world, and really it always has been. And of course, anytime Kentucky wins a game like that, you know. Um, we deserve the number one seed. We deserve to be in our region. It just happened to be at Rupp Arena. Um, you know, they wanted to go to the bigger venues. It, th- this was before a lot of them in the regional started going to the domes. That year we played in the King Dome, of course, but that was just the national championship game. But um, uh, we played, had to play two teams that we'd already played. And believe me, when you get a second bite at the apple, you better be ready because they've watched tape on you. They're going to adjust to you. And uh, those were two games that really could have gone either way in Rupp Arena. And it wasn't like, and I know we had a little bit more of a home court advantage, but Illinois and Louisville brought quite a bit of fans too. That was, that was in driving distance. But uh, it was a great, it was, it, both games, uh, and, and that's when Dickey had come back. Dickey, he was the MVP of the regional. He battled back from uh, um, arth- uh, arthroscopic surgery. And, and and led us 
led us to the Final Four. We would not have had that finish if it not been for Dickey getting healthy and coming back and 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 doing it like like the like the player that he was. So he, uh, it, it was great to to watch Dickey be able to do that. But uh, the rest of the guys, um, those games could have gone either way, and it was great that we got to do it right there in in Rupp Arena. You get to Seattle, and you mm-hmm. you got a big lead in the first half. Mm-hmm. Seems like mm-hmm. anything and everything that could go wrong went mm-hmm. wrong in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what happened that second half, Oscar, I think uh, anytime you played Georgetown, we came out, we were the aggressor in the first half. And I think John Thompson at that time, I think their forte was intimidation and aggression. And I think we felt like they had laid down. Because we had the best of them. We out-toughed them. That was always one thing with Coach Hall. My gosh, if we're going to lose, if we will still have been the toughest team, whether it was Indiana or anybody. And I think we came back, and I think we felt like that Georgetown had folded. And I think when they came back, I'm sure their halftime speech was, hey, we're getting pushed around. This isn't going to happen. We're going to go back to Georgetown Hoy basketball. And once you get the momentum back, they never took their foot off off of our throat. And I think that it just snowballed, and nobody could produce. Nobody. We had so many weapons, but we would go here, we would go to this player. Nobody could deliver for us that game. And I think as everybody went cold, it just continued to go downhill for us. It was just one of those things that um, I think we all regret. I think it's one of those things that you – of course, you do it on such a big stage. It's very difficult. You're embarrassed about it uh, that you represented the greatest fans in the in the country like that. But but it happened, and unfortunately, we didn't get a get an opportunity to make good on that that year. That ends up being the next of the last year of the Joe B. Hall era. Yes, and he has told several of us many times after that that his intentions were to hang it up that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people believe he didn't want to go out with that loss. Mm-hmm. His comment is, is he wanted to make sure the guy who followed him mm-hmm. would be left with a good nucleus. And that mm-hmm. was not going to be a good nucleus mm-hmm. that next year with four starters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went into that season, and uh, there are some people who will say now that that was perhaps one of Joe's better coaching jobs to bring that team along the way it did, particularly at the end of the year? Without question. Of the three years that I was blessed to play for Coach Hall, without question, that was his best coaching. Uh, was that, he that he, did. Uh, he was, but, but, you know, when you lose four starters and you lose, you know, a couple other guys that were, were there and then you've got freshmen coming in, the only guy that really had game experience that had delivered was Kenny Walker. I had some experience at starting. And we went through multiple uh, starting lineups that year. And um, by the end of the season, I think we went 16-12, and 12, we became a very, very dangerous basketball team. I mean, we, we get upset. I, it was an upset. Let's say it wasn't an upset because we were Kentucky. Anytime Kentucky got beat in the SEC tournament the first round or got beat early, it was always considered an upset. But we get beat by a extremely – Norm Sloan was peaking at Florida. He had the M&M brothers down there. They were an excellent 
I mean, they were ranked uh, in the top 20 basketball team, and we, we, we play them very well in the SEC tournament. But we go into that tournament, a lot of people didn't feel like we were going to make that tournament, but we did. And let me tell you something, we drew some very, two really good basketball teams. The first game we played Washington with Detlef Shrimp and a whelp. They had won their conference. They were one of the best teams on the West Coast. We put them away, okay? It was out in, I believe it was in Salt Lake City. And then the second game we play... Uh, Tarkanian really had UNLV rolling. I think they were uh, were they a four seed? Yeah, they were a four seed. Mm-hmm. That was we shocked that we shocked the country when we beat UNLV. And I mean, we were routing people. I mean, we we were in control of that UNLV game the whole game. We coach had us peaking, and we go into Denver in the Sweet Sixteen. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Before you get to Denver, I don't know where you remember it or not, but. There was an Arkansas team playing in Salt Lake City. That's right. And that was the game that Eddie Sutton got up and left the floor. Yes. Went up in the seats and sat right behind me on a press row. I remember that. We were watching that game. They played right before we did. I forget who were they playing. I forgot, too. Yes. I remember it. (laughs) And little did we know what was about to inspire within the next few days. Yes. And – but but you went to you went to Saint uh, play Saint John's. Yeah, I took Saint John's. They were number two in the country, and that had to be and, nostalgic for a lot of people. For Coach mm-hmm, Hall, mm-hmm. who spent time at Regis, mm-hmm. you yes, growing up there, had a lot of friends there. But we had Saint John's. I mean, we were we're we're, we're down three midway through the second, and that's when Kenny got poked in the eye. Troy McKinley had come in, and he got hot. Uh, we had guys that were that were that were scoring, and I think we we were shocking them. And when Kenny went out, though, we he came back in about three or four minutes later, but his eye was swollen shut. But I don't know that we could have beat him. But it it was one of those games that you get to the end, and a team that's that ranked high, number two, obviously they had taken us for granted. They had Chris. Mull- in fact, they had Mark Jackson who played for the Knicks. Their, uh, said her name Winnington or something? Bill Winnington who played for the Bulls with Michael Jordan. They had Chris Mullins who's a Hall of Famer. They had uh, <clears throat> let's see uh, Barry who was the first round first pick that year. Joe uh, was it? Joe, no, what was his name? For, I forget his name, but his last name was Barry Walter Barry. And let me tell you something. They were they were one of those great, one the greatest team St. John's ever had. But we had them down, and I know we had it. I'm sure we're going to talk about my senior year. But I will tell you this: what happened in '86, where we came up, came out of nowhere, and had such a great season. It was Coach Sutton's season. That cake was baked in 1985. If Coach Hall would have come back, his senior year, for my senior year, believe me. We would have been every bit of thirty-two and four. What went through your mind? Uh, well, first of all, did did you have any advance notice or feelings that no. Coach Hall was going to quit? Out Absolutely there? not. The only thing, when you look back, that game he um, he wore brown. He always wore a blue blazer, a dark tie, gray slacks, and black shoes. Every game that I ever played for him. And that he wore brown that game, and he and he said later that he wore it to to honor Coach Rupp, who always wore a brown suit. And uh, we didn't find out till we had gone through the press. We had spoken to the media. He resigned on air with 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 Kay Wood. We didn't know that till he he didn't tell us in the locker room. 
when he got on the bus with us, I think he wanted our fans and he wanted to, to announce it through Kaywood, but he got on the bus and he stood in front of the bus and he, and he talked to us and he told us how much he appreciated it and what a great year it was for him. And, uh, Really, in a lot of our minds, you know, Coach Hall is eternal. He's he was invincible. He was Kentucky basketball, and how, so it was it was a it was a sad day. How would you describe the players' reaction on the bus? Uh, we were we were very 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 sober about it. You know, I mean, we had gotten close to Coach Hall that year. You know, when you they're the greatest fans in the world, but when you disappoint the University of Kentucky fans, and really. The expectations were every year at the University of Kentucky is, you know, we need to be in the we, we need to be in the hunt. We need to win the SEC. We need to win 20 games. I mean, the worst year that we had was my junior year, and we get beaten the first game of the Sweet 16. How many schools would that be like the season to remember, you know? Um, but uh, we got close to all that adversity because when your fans grow a little cool towards you, that brings you closer together as a team. And Coach Hall never, he never gave up on us. And that team became very close. Unity, that was one of the most unified teams that, that I played on, that and the 86 team. But what happened in 86, Coach Sutton's first year, all, the, all, all that happened, that cake, like I said, was baked in 1985 with, with Coach Hall. And um, he deserves a lot of credit for that year. Tell me what it was like for the next 10 days between that day in Denver and the day, I think it was actually the day after the championship mm-hmm. Eddie Sutton was introduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like for the players to I'm, – I'm sure every kid on campus was, who's it going to be, who's it going to be, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Well, really, and I, I referenced this in the beginning, when we got back um, – the very next day, that's when Mr. Singletary came over to the Wildcat Lodge with Mr. Hagen. And what does it say when the president of your university and your AD spend about 45 minutes with you in the basement of Wildcat Lodge talking about how important the next season's going to be and how they're going to bring in somebody that's going to continue the tradition here and that they're going to get us somebody and that, you know, the next season is going to be very important for Kentucky basketball. And, in fact, we thought it was going to be Lute Olson. Mr. Hagen, during that period of time, during that Final Four, I think it was a day or two before the Final Four started, he was taking Lute Olson for a tour through Wildcat Lodge. We met Lute Olson. We thought it was going to be let Lute me, Olson. Let, let me go right there after a bit. Yeah. Because this was – this was on the Sunday between the semifinals and the finals. Yeah. Actually, it was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Across the street, the NABC All-Star game is being played, and Joe B. is coaching that. Yes. And the rumors were, just what you said, is that he was being led through Wildcat Law mm-hmm. and actually meeting players. And he did. That is a true account. Yes. And – I can give you a little bit to that story. And for some reason, I don't know if it's his, his wife. He was awful close with his wife. She was always involved, which I think is great with the program, as was Mrs. Hall. Catherine, was, she was tremendous uh, coach's wife, and she was always a, a mother figure to us, But um, as well as Coach Hall's mother, who made all the trips with us. Love Coach Hall's mother. But um, 
when that fell through with loot at those final fours, all the shoe companies would be there. And my father at that time was a national promotion man. He had just become, and him and Joe Dean were there. And they met, Eddie Sutton came through their booth. He was a Nike guy. Can and I, can I, can I interject? Go right, you go and, right ahead. And, and give you the rumor that I heard. Yes. I heard that they were, that they were given uh, gifts to the coaches in the Converse booth. As always, yes. The little doggy bag or whatever you yes. want to call it, yes. And Eddie Sutton walked up and yes. shook Joe uh, Joe Dean Senior's hands. Yep. If I get the job, you can count on it being Converse. Yes, he did. He said, "If you can get me an interview, yeah, and I get the job, we will. I will become a Converse guy." Well, Joe Dean got him the interview, and the rest of the story was he didn't make good on that pledge because <laughs> Nike came in and said, "Hey, when Converse didn't want anything to do with you." The story was is that Joe Dean at one time said, "Now nah, we don't want Arkansas basketball. You're you. We want the bigger. We want the bigger fish." Nike reminded him of that, but the great appeasement was was that if uh, after he got it, he said, "Al, Joe." I got to be loyal to my, to that, I, and I got to get out of. I want you to release me from my word, but I'll, I'll promise you this: your son can wear Converse, and I was the only guy that wore Converse my senior year, which I didn't like. By the way, I didn't really like that. You didn't like being different. I didn't like being different from my team. But what Con, what Nike did, they were smart. They made it was called the Kentucky Dunk. It's now well sought after shoe, okay, <laughs> and it was a real good looking jazzy shoe. Converse made one that looked very similar to it, only it was a Converse. So I got to wear my cons. Well, you know, the amazing thing with that whole scenario going through is actually there was another coach that was in the middle of that who was actually offered the job and turned it down because Singletary said, you've got to be here for a 10 o'clock press conference. That was Gene Bartow. Yes. He spent the entire Sunday yes. night with Leonard Hamilton. Yes. Going over players. Yes. Everything. Yes. And yeah. then they called in Eddie after yeah. Gene said he had to go back to Birmingham and resign to his president. He promised him, gave him his word. Yeah. So they went to Plan B, mm-hmm. and Plan B is they called up Eddie out of a coach's meeting. Yeah. And he actually accepted the job before even talking to Pat. <laughs> she was on a tour of the horse farm with a coach's yes. wife. Part two of Oscar's conversation with Roger Harding will be released in the near future, but continue to check back at oscarcombs.com for all the latest episodes of Conversations. Some other great podcasts that you can find on oscarcombs.com would be episode 17 featuring Derek Cord and episode 25 and 26 featuring Sam Bowie. Make sure you subscribe to Conversations in both iTunes and the Google Play Store. To download, search for at Wildcat News and hit subscribe and then you're guaranteed never to miss an episode as each episode will automatically download into your mobile device. And the best thing about it, it's free. And you don't have to miss anything going on with the Big O. Follow him on Twitter at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson thanking you for listening to the latest episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs presented by Rafferty's. And as always, go Big Blue.